Hey folks, Ivan here. We're currently on a Christmas and New Year's break and uh, we don't have a new episode for you until January 8th, 2020. So I hope you're having a good time enjoying yourself in this festivus Christmas, Hanukkah period, whatever it is you're celebrating. We thought as a bonus episode, we'd drop one of our Patreon-only episodes from a couple of months ago. Uh, I was with Stacy at the time because Stephen was away, and we recorded this one just for our Patreon subscribers, and we really enjoyed it so much, and we had such a ball doing it. So we thought very recently, you know what, let's just put this out to everyone. So we took five fictional films from Seinfeld, and we came up with some plots, (laughs) really original ideas. So the movies that we did were Death Blow, Prognosis Negative, Cry Cry Again, Checkmate and Sack Lunch and uh, I went down to the nitty gritty of it. I was trying to guess what the film's budget and box office earnings would have been if they were real films um, what they would have been on Rotten Tomatoes in terms of their ratings and uh, any industry awards that the film would have won if they existed in real life. So yeah we really got into it and uh, I had my plots and Stacey had hers and uh, yeah we had an absolute ball. So I uh, hope you enjoy this one and uh, we'll be back with new episodes of Bidwell Basque from the 8th of January of 2020. You take care, have a happy new year and Merry Christmas. Hi and Festivus, and we'll see you in 2020. Hey folks, welcome to another Patreon episode. Every fortnight, myself and, uh, well, usually Stephen, but uh, Stacey is with me. You've got me. me. That's right, you're with me for this fortnight. With me. Uh, With you, yes. (laughs) With us. (laughs) With us, yes. (laughs) So every two weeks, until we get 10 patrons for our $2 subscribers, we give you bonus Seinfeld-related episodes. Oh, and uh, and this has been a cracker. It's actually, yes, I know. It's actually Stephen's idea that came up with this one, so thanks, Steve. Um, We've done the hard work for your brilliant ideas. That's right. And... uh, Stacey and I today, we're going to talk about five Seinfeld fictional films or fictional films in the Seinfeld universe, and mm-hmm. we're going to come up with some hypothetical plots. Yeah. Uh, and I've got some hypothetical uh, countries of origins for the films where they would have been filmed, uh, what their Rotten Tomatoes scores would be if they were real films, uh, their budgets and box office takings, and any industry awards, you've Academy really, Awards, Golden Globes, Golden Razzies. You've really gone into it. That's right. Yes, what they would have been nominated for and would have won. So, yeah, nice. I went pretty, pretty full on. Like, I told you off air, Stacey. That, like I was thinking maybe 15, 20 minutes I'll yep. come up with stuff, but then an hour and a half later <laughs> I came up with all this and I'm like, yeah, this it was, is good. Spent, it was fun. I spent much longer on it than I I sort of thought I'd just like jot down like blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then as soon as I started actually trying to put it all together, I found myself really starting to like <laughs> yeah. get carried it away. It was great, like, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, these, yeah. like the universe and the storylines and like where and who and yeah. like all this sort of stuff. I could have, I honestly could have written so much more for all of these. Yeah, um, yeah. It was really fun. I Yeah, I had a great, like, I was doing them and I was like, oh, I was loving it. It was a fucking great idea, oh, Stephen. Yeah, very good, clap, Steve. Clap. Thanks, buddy. I hope you enjoy this episode, mate. Um, So, yeah, so we won't go into many films with huge plots or plots which have been really fleshed out in the show. Like, we won't talk about Channel or Rochelle Rochelle. Yeah, they're we like, know what happens in yeah, those ones. that's right. So we, we thought we'd have a bit of a challenge and come up yeah. with ones with very little info. So we're going to talk about Death Blow from The Little Kicks. Death Blow. Uh, prognosis Negative from The Dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, cry Cry Again, also from The Little Kicks. Yep. Uh, Checkmate, the one in the movie. Oh, and uh, the movie. Sack Lunch from The English Patient, which we did a couple of weeks ago, Stephen yeah. and I. So, yeah, we're going to – I'll just come up with a couple of uh, sentences for each plot and I'll give you some hypothetical yep. – uh, What if these Stats. films existed, what 
they would have earned and what they would have won in the awards and stuff. Uh, yep. I didn't cast any of them. Uh, Stacey, I think you have a couple of casts. Um, You've cast a few of them, haven't kind you? Kind of. Kind of, okay. Yeah, yeah. All good. All right, shall we talk about Death Blow first? Yeah, let's do it. So for me, uh, Death Blow is set in Hawaii, and it's about a, uh, well, I put a clansman, so like I guess like a gang member or something, uh, who has a long-standing rivalry with his adversary, forged from a long and brutal history of their families warring against one another do over several like hundred years. Do you mean like tribal clansmen? Well, I was thinking that, but maybe I'm not too familiar with like Hawaiian and like yeah, uh, heritage culture. and stuff, culture, but I'm guessing like maybe like uh, warring families sure. in that. Because Sorry, Kramer when mentions you say that clansmen, yeah. my brain just went oh, straight yeah. to the KKK. And yeah, I was like, oh, oh, no, no. Hawaii? Sorry, no, no, it's probably the wrong word, but I guess like a gang. What, what family you, member. A family member, yeah, yeah. that's right. Because um, I'm not familiar with Hawaiian culture, yeah. but yeah. Um, because Kramer mentions that a, whole, and a Hawaiian wow. guy got the death blow. So yes. I figured it was probably set in Hawaii. Yep. Um, so after several generations of conflict, so these two in a chance meeting meet together uh, and that will decide the fate of both families. Oh. Mm, yes. That and, sounds interesting. And uh, the protagonist delivers a death blow to his en- enemy and I mm-hmm. think it's a life-ending punch to his skull. The final death blow. The final death blow. And Kramer says in the little kicks that uh, he had it coming. Yeah, the antagonist. So there you go. Uh, for me, I've considered it an action film, mm-hmm. uh, a country of origin. I think it's a collaboration between the US and Hong Kong. Oh. I think because there's a lot of probably like martial arts kind of. Yeah, uh, I reckon there's probably a lot of like karate, like fighting kind yep. of styles. Even if there's like a Hawaiian kind of martial arts, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think Hawaiians are generally one... peaceful people. Yeah, <laughs> there's not one that I'm like aware of specifically but obviously like hawaiian culture is more broadly polynesian culture yeah, which is yeah. very influenced by asia asia so I can as well see how those things would go together or maybe they're like immigrants from china yeah, or something and they're yeah. like been established in hawaii yes. for hundreds of years yeah. yeah probably something like that um yeah uh i think if it had a it was on rotten tomatoes today i think it would have a fresh rating at 72 percent okay so i think it'd be like mixed to positive when do you think this film is from when? Like, well, when is it set? Well, I think when the Little Kicks came out, probably the 90s. Okay. Yeah, so probably, like, present. Yep. But I think it, it's based on the families from probably a few hundred years. Sure. So they had, like, a maybe something happened Family several hundred feud. years ago. Family feud, yeah. Yep. But not the one with Grant Denyer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think um, it, it's probably had positive reviews, but mm-hmm. not it's not considered, like, a masterpiece. Yeah. But probably, like, an underappreciated gem of the 90s, like, okay. underappreciated action film. Yep. Um, and I think... Like, mum is going to shoot you. Stop, my mum will shoot, like we mentioned <laughs> in the in the ticket. No, not quite. That's one of the worst. Uh, <laughs> stop, or my mum will shoot with Sly. Um, I think the budget was probably pretty modest. Now, these are, like, 90s budgets I'm, I'm, I'm giving okay. here. Um, they're not, like, Avengers half yeah. a billion dollar budgets. But I think this budget probably was around $35 million, okay. $30 mil. Um, and I think the box office takings, I think it was quite popular. Yeah. I'm saying going to say in the 90s, $234 million. Yeah. So probably adjusted today, probably like six, 700 mil okay. more. So, you know, pretty, I mean, pretty big action box. action movies. Mm, definitely. And something like Death Blow is obviously a very catching title. Yeah. It sounds like a Jean-Claude Van Damme, Steven Seagal yeah. film, doesn't yeah, yeah. it? I was thinking maybe it starred one of them. Mm-hmm. And it was focused on them, but then I thought I don't feel like it's that big budget, or no. that blockbuster though. They'd pay like they'd pay like them B, thirty million just for it's like B grade. Yeah, no, I thought it was a bit more. Like okay. I thought maybe it was like in the upper echelon. That's why the budget was like thirty five mil. Sure, but I think it was probably one of those ones where it's like, yeah, the studio probably thought, yeah, we got a bit of money. Pump this out. We'll just pump this one out, you yep. know, in time for the summer or yep. or something, and and it made more money and it was more popular than mm-hmm. they thought. Uh, I don't think it won any industry awards, but if they did, probably got nominated for an Academy Award for maybe best. 
costume design. Okay. Maybe I'm not or sure. Or stunts or whatever. Or music. Maybe music, Especially original if it's soundtrack. Hawaii, like if yeah. it's set in Hawaii, then hopefully you've got some, you know, more diverse and different kind of music. Yeah. That, like tropical island. I don't think the acting would have been got nominations, but I nah. think maybe for that kind of design some of the set extra pieces. Stuff. It maybe, yeah, yeah. Or maybe a special achievement award in yep. like stunts or something. I don't know. Anyway, that's my take on Death Blow. Yeah, cool. How about you, Stace? Um, all right. So I've gone in a fairly similar style to you. Um, so I've said, but I said that it's actually set in the like late 80s. So it's okay. dated from the time of release. It's actually set oh. a little bit, like just slightly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, a little bit retro. Okay. Sure. Um, so I've gone the like 80s. I also clocked that there was a reference to a Hawaiian guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've said it's like a 80s Miami Vice style oh, okay. kind of yeah, like yeah. die hard yeah. okay. I was just trying to think of like what sort of action film I could picture that's not anything with the rock in it that would have someone <laughs> that was of Polynesian descent so I just went to Miami Vice for some reason okay cool um so I said like 80s Miami Vice die hard style blockbuster blockbuster action film okay yeah um with an action hero. So we also know that there's a character in the film named Deathblow. Yes, that's right. Um, so I said that he's like this, um, you know, typical action hero. He is an ex-Marine, okay. ex-cop, yep. maybe FBI. All right. Who's turned into an international mercenary. Oh, wow. Okay. So cool. his code name is Deathblow. Um, his actual name is David Burns. <laughs> nice. I don't know. I just wrote like what's a DB really, da- DB Death like yep, yep, Deathblow yep. David Bones, but also like to be you know military or whatever. Like people like to be on the more like generic and invisible side of things. So yep. I was like David Burns is just you know no a no name. Yeah. Cool. Um, his enemies put a contract out on him. Oh, okay. And yep. the death blow is his vengeance. So a little bit like Kill Bill oh, yeah, meets yeah. Die Hard. It's like a vendetta, Miami revenge Vice. kind of film. Yes. Yep. Okay. So because awesome. um, we know that, and also the tagline of the film is, um, or like one of the trailers for it, we hear in the little kicks, which is, when someone tries to blow you up, not for who you are, but for different reasons <laughs> altogether. Yeah, yeah, that's the tagline, yeah. So yeah. I was like, okay, so this is like some sort of like, personal kind of vendetta yeah sure but then it's not about who he is so yeah it was just that sort of thing but so he's done something he's he's pissed someone off or maybe he's like slept with the wrong woman okay sure and someone's put a hit out on him because he's an international mercenary and then he's got like these people coming after him and the death blow is him like yeah getting back at the person who set the contract john wick style i guess i think if you if you said it in the 80s i could picture like arnold schwarzenegger i was thinking i was looking i was mm. trying to find someone who i might cast um, I'd, I'd probably say Arnie. Find, yeah. Well, for the Hawaiian character. Oh no, I meant but for I death. I meant for David Burns. I could imagine. Oh no, that's that's Death Blow, right? Is that what you said? Or is, or is Death Blow? No, no, sorry, we you just said no, no. So the Hawaiian no, you said he's Polynesian. Man oh, Death Blow. Death Blow. Oh, right, right. So right. my my character isn't the isn't the Hawaiian oh, guy. Oh, so right, it could right, be Arnie. Yeah, yeah. That's I was what, kind of thinking about because that's like he was in Predator, Commando, yes. like late eighties Terminator. Yes. Like I could see him as like that kind of guy. So like, but Dwayne Johnson today. Marine yeah. come FBI agent come international mercenary slash hitman. And, of course, he's an American guy with an Austrian accent. Yes. Because, you know, that makes sense. <laughs> um, so, yeah, old David Burns. Okay, um, beautiful. 
goes, you know, obviously has to like fight off the people who are trying to get the contract. And then the final death blow is him going and killing the guy who put the contract on him. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Good yeah. Words, eh? Violence. Violence. <laughs> Gore. All right. Prognosis negative. That one was from. Prognosis the- negative. Prognosis negative. Uh, this was actually an unproduced screenplay by yeah. Larry David. He actually wrote it in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, and he- it was about a man who receives a negative result on a medical test, mistaken mm-hmm. for being bad. Yep. Um, I picked it as like a comedy, but I oh, think it's okay. probably like. I gave the budget for the film $60 million. I think maybe someone like Jim Carrey would have starred in it. I think it probably would have been set in like the mid-90s. Yeah. I think it would have been when Jim Carrey was like in his prime. Yeah. They probably would have done a third of the budget just for him. Yeah. Like they would have paid him like 15, 20 mil just for him well, to be in the film. Well, if it's about this guy's you know, journey with the test results, then yeah. it's a very much like a the, the main actor is the core of the film, That's right. right. So they yeah. could afford the budget. I mean, yeah. I mean, it could have been like a dramatic film, but yeah. I, I picked it as a comedy. Basically, my plot is it's set in New York, yep. well, Larry David, New York. Yep. Uh, a man goes to the doctor for tests, probably like Jim Carrey or someone with that star power. I think yep. it's a film where it's not quite a solid comedy, but I think it relies on star power. Yep. Um, a few days later, he receives a call saying that his test results are negative, uh, as in it's good, nothing's come up. Yeah. Um, but I think he's so reactive that he takes it the wrong way, hangs up the phone when the doctor says, oh, everything's fine. Yep. And I think he believes he only has a few days left to live. Mm-hmm. And so he goes on to complete his bucket list. Yep. And he tells people along the way about his test. But he, but he's like, he might tell people it's negative, but then some people might try and explain what negative is, but he doesn't. He's so he deluded. He doesn't clock it. He doesn't clock it or no yep. one, or people feel sorry for him or whatever. And uh, he just goes about doing all these things he always wanted to do. Yep. And I think at the end, you know, the doctor finally gets to him and he's like, oh, damn. But I think in a way, like, especially, you know, with Liar Liar, how Jim Carrey, even though it's a comedy, he kind of learns from the experiences. Yeah. He learns to be a better dad. Yeah. I think from this, maybe his character learns to kind of, because he's probably like a busy guy, yep. you know, busy worker. And, you know, he's like, oh, I've got to go to the doctor. You know, it's been like a year since I've gone. You yeah. know, fine, I better go. Maybe his wife nags him or something. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he's a single guy and, and, you know, maybe he's like, I better go to the doctor. And then, like, he's like, shit, I've spent all this time working yeah. and I haven't done what I loved. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like a moral Carpe message. About, yeah, you know what I mean? So yep. I think it was probably something like that. Mm-hmm. And he goes on, like, all these wacky adventures yep. in New York, maybe even travels or mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, that's just my take on prognosis negative. Um, like I said, I think it's a comedy um, probably starring someone like Jim Carrey, someone mm-hmm. with, like, star power in yep. the mid-90s. 90s to rely on it um obviously an american film uh i don't think despite the star power i think it probably would have been one of jim carrey's least mm. uh best ones mm-hmm. i think it probably would have got maybe a score of 41 percent on rotten tomatoes okay rotten so probably like mixed to negative yeah but i think the star power well jerry thinks it's terrible he does like, yeah jerry doesn't like the film he, he doesn't like it at all it, no but he thinks it's awful definitely yeah so I would think if it was a good comedy, Jerry would like it. Would like it, yeah. <laughs> and And Jim Carrey did have a few comedies or a couple where they weren't that good. Yeah. But I think the budget was around 60 mil, but I think yep. a big chunk was Jim's yep. salary. Um, but I think it made quite a bit of money, $320 million, I nice. estimate. So it made a lot of its money back just because of Jim Carrey. Yep. I don't think it would have been nominated for awards, but maybe Jim Carrey would have got a nomination for a Golden Globe Mm -hmm. for Best Actor in a Comedy or Musical. Okay. I think he might have got at least a nomination. Yeah. Yeah. He's a very good actor. Very good actor, yeah. Definitely. Very good comedic and dramatic actor. What about you? That's my take on Prognosis Negative. What about yourself? So, I took the fact that it was based on an actual Larry David screenplay. Yeah, yeah. um, That it would be kind of weird and wacky and like left of centre. Yes. And then the fact that Jerry thinks it's terrible to me says that it's probably 
a bit more towards the artistic alternative side oh. and less of the comedy side because I think if it had been a comedy, Jerry would have liked it more. Oh, okay. And would have rated it more highly. Right. So, so it's more of a dramatic film, yeah. To, more towards the dramatic end of stuff. Because I didn't consider all that stuff in the episode. Mm. I just kind of went from a hunch. Yeah. I was like, yeah, maybe this is what it's in. Yeah, that's fair that you put it as a drama. Yep. Um, so the notes that I have um, is think... Wes Anderson and okay. Paul Giamatti. Oh, beautiful. Do you know Paul Giamatti? Yes, yes, yes. Um, and I wrote, and maybe throw a Cohen in the mix. Oh, all right. Yeah, Joel or Ethan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. For directing or um, for producing. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I just felt like they would be the kind of people I could see doing this kind of film that I had in my head. Yep, yep, So yep, it's yep. like a Wes Anderson. It's funny, but it's arty and it's weird. Oh, okay. You know, very much like Life Aquatic, kind of one yes. of those sorts of films. Sure, sure. Um, so I wrote, it's a story about a New York club kid. Do you, Were you aware of the club kid scene? It was like this sort of, um, you know, mid, I think mid 80s, uh, mid to late 80s. And it was an era of like art. I guess, in New York where okay. um, it was, you know, like the performance art world and the visual art world, but also like the queer community and drag all sort of like intersected with this like club kid scene, which mm-hmm. was, you know, going out and going to parties, but people would like dress up in like these weird characters and personas. It was all sort of like performance art sure. and, you know, circle jerking within this like <laughs> very specific sort of subculture of the, I believe, 80s. Yeah. Um. So the main protagonist of the story is this New York City club kid. He's like super big in the scene. Okay. Um, he partied really, really hard in the 80s. Um, probably like, well, definitely took drugs, drank a lot um, within the club kid scene, probably was like queer person and had like queer lovers. So like male oh, okay. and female lovers. So he's wow, engaged so pretty, in some. Uh, pretty significant yeah, for cinema. Yeah. Like engage- yeah. Well, we wouldn't be the seeing time. this. For the time. But this is like, that would be what, that would just be what people would have done in that scene. Okay. So we're not necessarily like seeing that. We've got him now, but that's kind of his backstory in my head when I'm coming up with all this sort of stuff. So the movie is set in the early 90s, but this was where what he was doing in the late 80s that's, like, led him to this point. Sure. Um, So I said that the prognosis negative was potentially around HIV. Oh, um, okay, sure. Results. Yeah. And that there's a test result letter that gets mixed up and he gets sent the wrong person's test results in the mail. Sure, sure. Um, oh, he's sending through the mail. Well, <laughs> that's not the best. I was just—I said that they get mixed up, so maybe not in the mail. Maybe it's at the clinic, but yeah. like for some reason, he gets the wrong test results, and uh, yeah. so he gets told that he's HIV positive. And it makes sense too, especially in that era too. You know, yeah. the HIV AIDS yes, epidemic and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Like because I was Very just thinking like New York City. Yeah. Test results. Like I, I obviously immediately went straight to HIV. Sure. Um, and so I said, in true party monster fashion, which there's a film and a true crime event about it, actually. Okay. Um, but in true party monster fashion, the protagonist goes on an existential, soul-searching, acid-fueled oh. bender oh. Um, in a full-body leotard and a wig. <laughs> and it's like a Christmas carol version of the club kid scene. Okay. So he's, like, going back. Like, so he's in the present time existentially life crisising his way through like the grief and agony of thinking that he might have HIV and is going to die. So it's like a character study of sorts. Yes. Yeah. But also then he's like kind of going back over his life that he's had that's like led him up to this point while also in the moment because he's like drinking and partying and taking a shit ton of acid, his brain is just kind of going like, 
<laughs> yep. Nice. That's my film. All right. Awesome. <laughs> so, so you think the budget wouldn't have been as big? Maybe. Like, what? What would you think? Do you think a studio might have? I have no idea. No, what you, didn't, you didn't come up with any of that. I stuff. didn't do any of that sort of stuff, so uh, I don't know what a budget would be. It would be like mid. Mid-range. Mid-range. So it would be, like, mostly this guy. It would be scenes in, like, bars, alleyways, on the subway. Okay, so kind of like an indie kind of feel to it. Yes, very much so. Fair enough. Yeah, I I got so, so, so into this that... I just, yeah, did it. <laughs> I was like, oh, whatever. I just did it. Very good. But I, I would it. watch that movie. Yeah. If anyone wants to make that movie, Please. I'm more than happy to collaborate on it. Because, like, as I was writing it, I was just like, yes. Well, if yes! you need if you need an actor, <clears throat> if you need me to audition, <laughs> I can play that character. But, yeah, the Party party Monster is an actual movie and it's got a Culkin in it. I don't know if it's Macaulay or Kieran. Oh, okay. But it's got a Culkin in it and nice. it's about the party club, sorry. Party Monster. Ah, uh, fuck. Party Monster. Club Kid Club scene. Club Kid scene, yep, yep, yep. Um, the movie is called Party Monster. Okay, yeah, yeah. And there's a, there was a murder that took place in the scene as well. Yikes. Yeah, so it does have a dark kind of undertone, which is where that's how I think how my brain attached myself to that. Yeah. And did you say there was a true crime podcast? Did you say? No, it's a true. there's a true crime event. Oh, true crime so event. So, like, the okay. murder right, has right, been right. covered by... True crime podcast. Oh, maybe there's a pod. Oh yeah, okay, cool. Um, All right. Not like anyone in depth, mm. but I've know people. I've heard people refer to it. But Party Monster is a real movie. Very good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, that was that. Now cry, cry again. Also mm. from the little kicks. So mm-hmm. that's the one where you know how they, um, Jerry's trying to bootleg Death Blow, yeah. and then he tries cry, cry again. But then Elaine takes, takes over, over it with the, the little kicks. That's right. I would watch that movie. Yeah, me too. <laughs> the little kicks. Um, I I think like um, it's mentioned in the episode. So that Cry Cry Again is an indie, like art house mm-hmm. kind of film. I think it's set in France, and I think it's a French production. Yep. Uh, I called it A Tale of Two Lovers in Paris. Yep. Uh, one person, probably the man, has unrequited love for the other yep. a woman. Uh, and through many trials and tribulations, as well as soul searching for several years, th- there is a line that Jerry says where he tries to find a loaf of his soul. Buys back a loaf a of loaf his loaf of soul. his soul, yes. Yep. I think there's a lot of that kind of stuff as well. Yep. Um, the pair meet again and realize what they've been missing this whole time. Oh. So, oh, yes. so they cry because they're cry, sad cry. and like split up, and then they cry then they again cry for seeing again each other when yes. they come back together. That's right. After all oh. these tribulations and trials and all that stuff. Nice. Um, yeah. So I put the genre as art house yep. slash drama. Yep. Uh, French film. Uh, I think it's one of those ones where it's a low budget art house film, probably financed by the French government or something. Mm-hmm. But I think it's got really high acclaim. I like think it Emily. probably yeah. I think ninety three percent on yep. Rotten Tomatoes. So yep. like almost universal acclaim. Like yep. it's one of those films. Um budget was probably only a couple of mil, but I think it's been nominated for probably several yeah. Academy Awards and It'd Golden get a Globes. Khan for sure. Yeah, probably the Khan. Yeah, yeah. I think you got the, the, the Palm d'Or. What is that, the Palm d'Or? The yeah. Palm d'Or. Yeah, I think yep. you got the Palm d'Or at Khan. Yeah. Uh, probably at least the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. Mm-hmm. And it's a French yep. French dubbed film. Uh, I think the budget was around two or three million uh, US dollars. The box office total, modest, but still a lot, 30 million. Okay. So I probably made like 10 times as much back. Yep. But I think it was after all the hype of the awards yeah. season. You know how some films come out and they're like, critically acclaimed but then after they're featured in the awards then they release the the film to the public and then everyone goes to see it so i think it was one of those kind of Mm -hmm. awards uh kind of movies yeah so you know those real highly acclaimed films of the 90s yeah and probably in like the top 100 list of the 90s yeah if it was a real film what about you stace all right (laughs) yeah here we go so i also had it um in Paris, um, because when I was doing some research, it says that there is a shot in the film with a view of the Eiffel Tower. That's correct. That's how I got it too. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. So I was like, okay, Eiffel Tower, let's go. So 
Baz Luhrmann style oh. dramatic musical. Oh, Moulin Rouge oh. meets Romeo and Juliet. Oh, lovely. Meets Tim Burton's Edward Scissorhands. So the whole thing with buying back the piece of his soul kind of gave me this idea of this sort of lost and fractured character, a little bit like Edward Scissorhands sure. in the Tim Burton film. Sure. Um, so it's an unrequited love story. Oh, there you also, go. Excellent. Um, a quasi-like ghoul of a social outcast is ah. the main character. So he's the buy back the piece of his soul guy. Yeah. Um, he works in a museum or an art gallery or something like this and he's secretly – so. Even though he just works in, like, maintenance or cleaning or whatever, he's secretly, like, an artistic genius. And so when he's in the museum at nighttime, he goes and, like, secretly restores and does all this incredible work on all the paintings. But because he's, like, a social pariah or whatever, he keeps it secret and hidden away from everybody. Um so he's a secret art genius and he restores the paintings at night. He falls in love with a girl who works at the gift shop in the museum. So like when he finishes work at the end of the night when everyone thinks he's been cleaning but he's actually been doing all these incredible pieces of art. Oh, okay. He then sees the girl coming in in the morning for her shift as he's leaving work at the end of the night. Whoa. Um, and he can't – Press her with his artistic ability without exposing himself to the art community and because he's such an incredible genius but also a social outcast, he doesn't want to expose himself because he'll get critical acclaim. He, he's, you know, like the new Da Vinci. Yeah, of course. Um, so he doesn't want to tell the girl, you know, to impress her basically he has to have something, you know, other than being the maintenance guy. Um, and so it's just this kind of like unrequited love story. You know, he's in love but he can't like – break himself out of his own shell enough to, like, go after the woman that he loves. Oh, wow. Yeah. So deep. Yeah, so I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed this task. Yeah, me too. I loved it. It's um, something different. Yeah, so that's where I went. Very good. Very yep. good. Nice. Yep. Yeah, no, I liked it. I like your one better than mine. <laughs> Thanks. But I guess I can both go here. I, re- I honestly, like, I would have written more, but I ran out of space. Yeah. And then I was yeah. like, oh, that'll do. Like, that'll I might do. be here all night if yeah. I don't stop myself. This episode would be like two hours long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's also true. Sorry, guys. That's all right. Um, But yeah, you can sort of see that kind of, I could really kind of see the scenes. You yeah, know? yeah, like, yeah. I can picture it in my head too. Yeah. Do you know who you cast or you're not sure? No, I didn't have no? anyone for that. Fair enough. Anyway, now penultimate film, Checkmate. That's in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I've put it as a UK production yep. because uh, in in the movie you can actually hear Jerry and Larry. They're actually playing the characters. Yes. And one of them, Jerry calls Larry the king. The king. And they have British accents. I'm oh, okay. Did I didn't br- go and listen to it. I think they had British accents. I thought they did. Or maybe they didn't. They definitely refer There's someone that's a king. A king. Yeah. So there you so go. So I went a similar direction with okay, it. Okay, yeah. cool. So set in 14th century England, uh, a king and his right-hand man spend the entire film playing a game of chess. And they get to you get to know more about the both of them. Uh, while the king has the upper hand in every aspect of his life, the right-hand man has one opportunity to best him without fear of reprisal. Cool. Yeah. So basically, the king says, "If you beat me, I'm not going to execute you or yep. do anything." You know. Yeah. Yeah. And you get and to does know. He beat him. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure. Oh. I'm going to say probably stalemate. Oh. Um, and I think as well, like I think the symbolism of chess kind of applies to their relationship as well. I yep. think when the right hand 
man has like the upper hand, he win- he takes like the king's piece. Yeah. And I think the king, like the actual king piece in mm-hmm. chess, I think depending on how the king and its position on the king's side of the chessboard, I think it's the reactions of the king as well. Yeah. So I think like the chessboard kind of symbolizes. It's a metaphor for it's their a metaphor relationship. For their relationship and also like class yes. and, you know, like the serfs and yes. like the royals and stuff. I think it's kind of like a metaphor for like society in 14th century England as well. Cool. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like very, very symbolic as well. Yeah. Um, I've put it as a period piece, like a character study, even drama, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, yeah, period drama. Period drama. See. Yeah, yeah. Um, country <clears throat> the origin UK. Yeah. Um, I think it's one of those films where at the time it was highly regarded, but mm-hmm. I think as years went on, it's kind of forgotten. Yeah. Uh, I think today it would have a 65% Rotten Tomatoes yep. rating. So still fresh, yeah. still positive or mixed to positive. Yeah. But I just think like it would be one of those films where in the 90s it was really like regarded, but now yeah. t- 20 years later, it hasn't, aged hasn't really well. aged too well. Yeah. yeah so and people forget about it. Yeah. Um, I think the budget was about $10 million. Uh, in the 90s, box office total $40 million. So mm-hmm. they still made money back. Yep. I think this film at the time was nominated for several Academy Awards, mm-hmm. but I think well, I think the ones where it was nominated for for the Academy Awards, <laughs> Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Director, I think it would have been nominated for those. Yep. Uh, Golden the Globe. BAFTAs? You the BAFTAs, probably BAFTAs. the UK. Yeah. Oh, I didn't, I didn't get the BAFTAs. Right. Uh, but yeah, probably BAFTAs because it's a British it's film a too. It's a British film. Probably Best Picture. Yep. Um, Golden Globe for Best Picture, Best Actor, Original Screenplay, and Best Director were the nominations. But I think the supporting actor, oh. I think the right-hand man would have given a stunning performance. Yeah, cool. And I think he would have won the Academy Award and the Golden Globe for Best nice. Supporting Actor, and he would have been the favourite leading into Checkmate. Awards. Checkmate, yes. <laughs> Checkmate. So there you go. So yeah, cool. I, think, I think it would have been one of those ones where the film – you know, was nominated but didn't win, but I think yeah. it was more well known for the supporting acting. actor. The yeah. Acting, yeah, and especially with like those British period dramas, like they're so well acted. Because Definitely, the, that's what the British media do a lot of. Hundred percent, they're all very good at it. Yes. So yeah, there you cool. go. That's the way I would have put it. All what right. What about you, Stace? Okay, so um, I've got also a, a king of sorts. Okay, I, I picked up on the whole king thing and went with that. Disregard so that they of, have American accents. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I, I thought well, they. Sort of. I thought they had British accents. I thought Jerry had a British accent. Yeah, okay. I don't remember. Uh, anyway, anyway, so um, I've got Liam Neeson and Russell Crowe. Oh, fantastic! I know. Okay, I don't know why? But so that's Russell Crowe would be the right hand man. Russell and Crow- Neeson would be the king. Yes. Okay. So, so Russell Crowe would have won the, the awards. There's the two yeah. people. Well, that's on your film. Yeah, yeah. So Crowe <laughs> would have won supporting actor. Sure. Yeah. Cool. So in my film, we've got Liam Neeson and Russell Crowe. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, All right, I'll cast them in my film. Okay, awesome. great. Great. Um, mine is set in Victorian England. Okay. And the king that we hear of is actually Prince Albert, the king consort. Oh, okay. So Victoria's husband. Sure, sure. Um, so that's Liam Neeson, and then Russell Crowe is his um, chief general uh, slash bodyguard, and they go out on a hunting expedition, and Russell Crowe plays the bodyguard general guy, um, and he's actually a bastard-born, um, you know, nobody. Like Jon Snow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so he's a bastard nobody who has basically become a bit of a con man and claimed some, like, noble family's name and risen up through the ranks of the British military um, to this place of power. Uh-huh. And he's actually Albert's, like, cousin or brother mm-hmm. or something. So, like, he's, you know, he's a bastard. We'll say that he's, like, the subject of, like, an affair of one of the other royals, but he finds out that he's related um, to 
King Albert or Prince Albert. Cool. Um, and so he tries to win over his affection um, on this hunting expedition as his bodyguard and he invites the king to a game of chess and he, you know, wins over his um, temperament and sort of finds that as a way to, like, get in and get on side with the king. Oh. And then that becomes the turning point for the story about how he tries to plot to overthrow the throne. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ooh, so kind of like... Uh, pre Game of Thrones, Little in a bit way, Game except Thrones, two characters, but also uh, like a big thing for me as I was writing this. A big thing for me was um, I was thinking about watching The Favorite with um, oh okay, Coleman Olivia Coleman okay that she just actually won like all those awards oh, for. Sure. So it's based. Have you seen the film? No, no, okay. I've heard of it though. Yeah. Um. So it's like the the queen and then her like consort and then a new consort sort of comes in and they have like a little power struggle. But basically, it's you know. Obviously, like the oligarchs um, are very reliant on their court. Yeah. Um, and so he, this guy is basically like using his position in court to like win over the king and then sort of start to like muck with him and try and, you know, get his finger in the pie so that he can basically exert his own power over the the royal crown, but kind of through the king as like a puppet. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sick. That's awesome. <laughs> there you go. So a lot of uh, intrigue. Yes. And a lot of backstabbing. Yeah, because it says yeah. that it's a film about chess and intrigue. Yeah, yeah of so course it is. So I was like, yes. there we go. There we go. Makes there sense. So the final, that was very good, Stace. Thank you. So the final film, um, a bit of a, not a sour note. But sack lunch. Sack lunch, yeah. I think it's meant to be, I read that it was meant to be like, the opposite to the English Patient. Yeah, yes. the English Patient is meant to be like highly acclaimed, award-winning. Well, they award were released winning. on the same day, the same day in the Seinfeld universe. That's right. Whereas yeah. Sack Lunch is meant to be that kind of goofball, yes. shitty family comedy, the, yeah. you know. Um, so I think uh, Sack Lunch, it's set in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sack Lunch is a goofball family comedy yep. in the similar vein of like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, you know, those kind of family films, you know. That's exactly what Probably I've Disney got. or, you yeah. know, like one of their live action films or something. Yeah. Um, about a man, his wife, his son and daughter who are shrunk into a neighbor's lunchbox uh-huh. by an evil scientist. Ah. I don't know how that would work, but yes. it, but the evil scientist I could imagine is like a real like he's like a real goofball yep. kind of guy, but like a kid friendly like Doc. Yeah, probably like Doc Brown, but a bit malevolent, but kind yeah. of like on a like a family uh-huh. kids. Family you know, one of those friendly. family friendly villains, yeah. you know? Like those goofball ones. Um, while trying to find their way out of their bag, the family have to overcome several food obstacles while dealing with each other's personalities, yep. as well as trying to defeat the evil scientist. Sounds Somehow. perfect. Somehow. So the genre is a family comedy, an uh, American film. Uh, really shitty Rotten Tomato score, like 11%. Probably yep. considered one of the worst films of the 90s. Yep. Worst comedies of all time. Yep. I think the budget was pretty modest for the 90s, $40 million. Uh-huh. Uh, probably second-tier actors, maybe... Maybe one star. Yeah, I don't know, but couple. probably a couple of like mid-range yep. to top-level actors. Uh, probably the mum and dad. Um, but I think it would have out of the five films, the only one to make a box office loss. I think the budget oh, was forty okay. mil. Box office takings probably twenty right. twenty-five mil. Okay, so it actually lost yep. money because people went to see it had a big promo, and then people were like this sucks. Yeah, you know. Even though Elaine liked it, she likes the guilty pleasure kind of film. Yeah. But I think the general consensus was this is one of the worst films. I, I mean, and also coming out at the same time as the English Patient would have really affected its like potential in the box office too. But, yeah, but Sack Lunch, mind you, would be for a more 
uh, it's probably the wrong word to say, but more of a lowbrow yeah. kind of audience. I don't oh, think, 100% completely you know, different viewing audience. Yeah, that's right, and that families and stuff. Like yep. all of the all of the coverage and media and stuff would be going on to the English patient. Definitely. Like the sack lunch wouldn't be getting a word in in terms of like promo and stuff. No. It would be it would literally just be families going to take their kids to see this kind this. of summer holiday. Yeah, summer, summer holiday summer, kind of know. film, yeah. It's like the movies that come out, you know, like at the end of December and early January. Yeah, that's like right. They, they in, save in really, yeah. really good ones. Yeah. Like, yeah, sorry. Like the award-winning summer. ones, yeah. But then you also get like a run of like the crappy really boxing day films. Like the Boxing Day just, films. Well, some of the Boxing Day films are really good. Are really Good. And others are really crap. Yeah. So that's I put sack lunch in that kind of oh, awesome. the crap summer movies. Fair enough. Yeah. No, because I, I put it because Disney Disney did a lot of live action family films like in the eight nineties and stuff. You know, who did? Um, I think Honey I Train the Kids was Disney. Was it? Oh, I'm not sure. I thought it was like because they did a lot of those live action films, yeah. and there were a lot of those. You know, those live action and family they had films. Pretty big budget yeah. um, effects. They for did that for time. the time. Yeah. yeah, I think it was in the same vein as those yeah. kind of movies. Yeah. That's exactly where I went. Yeah, definitely. I think the awards that it would have been nominated for and won Golden Razzies. Yeah. So like the opposite to the Oscars. Yeah. I think it would have been nominated for worst original song. I think it would have been some crappy pop rap MC yeah. Hammer kind of like song yeah. you know like a real shitty yeah. fucking song um, worst supporting actor is probably the mum okay. nominated but I think it would have won four Razzies yep. uh, worst picture worst actor the dad worst supporting actor the evil scientist yep. I think the evil scientist would have been too over the top it might have been Newman probably Wayne Knight <laughs> maybe but making his heyday yeah um, probably too over the top yeah. I think you know you're meant to be like you can be a bit camp in a family film but I think they probably would have taken it too far yep. like overacted uh, and worst director okay yeah so I think it would have yeah been nominated for six one four there you go Razzies worst go. one of the worst films comedies films ever made <laughs> what about you all right, so I said, um, think, honey, I shrunk the kids. Yep, yep. Me, exactly what I don't got. tell yes. mum the babysitter's dead. Oh, okay, yep, yep. Um, okay. So it's a corny but slightly dark, because that's just me, um, a corny but slightly dark comedy about a middle a middle American family um, who live in a, you know, generic leafy suburb neighbourhood in a, you know, relatively decent house, so very much just middle America. Um, they've got two sons, a daughter, a dog, and then a crazy scientist granddad. In brackets, think nineties Hollywood softened down Rick from Rick and Morty. Okay, yeah. So yep. again, it's like that kind of crazy Doc scientist. Brown. Yeah, yep, yep. Doc Brown. Oh wow. Not we, a, we, we didn't read our, each other's notes. No, by we way. didn't. No, no, like no. we've literally gone in the exact same direction, yeah, yeah, which is exactly I exactly how I thought. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I've got the like kooky crazy scientist granddad, um, whose name is Granddad Nick. Oh, nice. <laughs> so nice. instead of Rick, it's Nick. It's Nick. So Granddad yeah. Nick, um, who is, yeah, like this, you know, crazy inventor guy, he builds a device for recycling food waste. Oh, okay. Um, and something happens. So, you know, it gets wet or the dog does something yeah, to it. Yeah, it's or one whatever. of those kind of tropes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. it goes haywire and it turns the family down into like micro bead sized pieces that would end up in like compost. Oh my God. So this is like a food That's recycling. That's tiny. That's really small. A food recycling beam thing that oh, okay. then shrinks them down. Well, so like, you know, the well, size that's of really... like your pinky finger. Oh, that's tiny. Well, because I went <laughs> sack lunch, but I didn't want them to be like in a lunch. So oh, I was okay. like, okay, it's food related. Right, so for some right. reason I just went to compost and yeah, I was cool, just thinking cool. about those little beads that you see in fertilizer. Yeah. So they're like that size. Yeah. Um, 
And then the rest of the film is, yeah, kind of exactly what you said. So, like, trying to get out of it, but yep. also, you know, working together as a team, yeah, dealing right. with the stress of, you know, granddad's done this thing and the kids want out and the <laughs> no. dog's like, ah, So, the precursor on? to Rick and Morty. <laughs> 100%. It's basically <laughs> nice. Rick and Morty, but like a 90s bad comedy film version. Very good. 100%. Wow. I'm glad you and I went down that same path. <laughs> Fantastic. High five. High five. Well done. So, that, this has been a, such a fun episode. It's been so much fun. Oh, my God. I can't wait to hear what you think of it if you are a $2 subscriber. Yes. Um, if you have people who listen to Bidbo Bask who, you know, they've been on the fence about signing up to Patreon, get them to sign up even just for like this month for two bucks and listen to this episode. Yeah. I think they'll really enjoy it and probably our back catalogue as well. Um, They're also good, but yeah. this one is particularly oh, good. I loved it. It was fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we're releasing these episodes every fortnight until we get 10 patrons. Otherwise, we'll release these once a week. So, uh-huh. uh, yeah, like I said, if you have friends who want to sign up on Patreon who listen to the pod, get them on board. Get them on board. My name's Ivan. I'm Stacey. And you'll be back with us next fortnight I for will. our episode and next week for Bitwabask. I will. So we'll see you then. Just can't get enough of me. Nah. <laughs>